0: This audio is from South Fellowship Church. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit southfellowship.org. Good riddance 2013. Uh, I'm glad to have 2013 in my rearview mirror. Even if it's completely artificial, it feels like a new beginning, and I'll take it, I'll celebrate it, um, and trust that the coming year is going to be great. Uh, as I looked back on 2013, I, I always uh, make goals at the beginning of each year, and I had some uh, pretty high expectations entering into 2013, and I'm just going to be transparent and honest with you. I failed at many of them. Um, I, I, here's, a, here's a few of them, and this is just transparency, all right? Um, and everybody goes, well, this is going to get a little awkward. Well, maybe. Maybe. Um, I wanted to lose a little bit of weight in 2013. I gained a little bit. That's generous. I wanted to read through my whole Bible. I didn't quite make it. I wanted to carve out more time for family and friendships, and I think I probably worked more than I ever have. I wanted to pay down some of my seminary loans, and instead I paid for medical bills and taxes. Anybody relate to 2013? Yeah. Yeah. There were a few goals I did accomplish, too, and the moral of the story is if you make enough goals, you're bound to accomplish some of them. (laughs) Or maybe you just make the right goals. I read an article earlier this week that talked about some New Year's resolutions that I think you, we, I, we collectively could keep. Try a few of these on for size. Uh, This year, I will. Take a walk every day or at least briefly consider it. (laughs) This year, I'm going to forget about past mistakes, and I'm going to press on to make bigger mistakes. (laughs) This year, I'm going to take every disappointment as a reason to completely give up. (laughs) This year, I am not going to let anything get in the way of me eating an entire pint of ice cream in one sitting. This year, I'm going to spend more time doing things that really matter, watching more Netflix. This year, I'm going to read less because it makes you think. This year, I'm going to procrastinate more, but I'm not going to start until tomorrow. And this year, I'm going to gain a little bit of weight. I'm shooting for 30 pounds. So... I don't know about you, but I always start the new year, and I look at uh, sort of my life and sort of in categories and try to think of, all right, God, what would you have me do and become in the next 12 months? Anybody make some New Year's resolutions this year? A few of you, okay. I I think the reason we struggle with New Year's resolutions is we have this burning question somewhere deep in the back of our mind, and it's this. Is change, true change, real change, actually possible? Is it really possible? Can a can a quote-unquote old dog learn new tricks, or are we always just going to be what we are? I mean, on a lot of levels, we wrestle with that. There's, there's people that, couples that held hands walking through these doors this morning, and the marriage is cold, and it's hurting, and it's stale, and your question is, could, could this change in the next 12 months? Uh, there's people that are wrestling with addiction, and your question is, could I really actually change? Could I be different? Could I find freedom? There's some people that are buried under just a mound of debt, and your question is, God, could you actually work and do something even in this? I think we all, on a very human core level, Want to believe that change is possible, but we all wrestle with the the dynamics of how. How does that actually work? Is it possible? And if it is possible, how does it actually work? Here's the reality here's the reality is that you and I are very different people than we were one year ago. You're different. You've changed, you've developed, um, you've, you've grown. Maybe you've regressed, maybe you've matured. Maybe you've gotten a little more immature. Guys, your wife will tell you. If she's elbowing you now, you're more immature. But we've all changed in the last 12 months. And here's the truth. You will change in the next 12 months. You will. It's just a matter of how and in what direction we grow. So the question becomes, how do we, if we're followers of Jesus, and maybe you are this morning and maybe you're not, but if you are, our question is, Jesus, how do we grow more into the image of you? Um, I love the way that the great pastor and writer John Orberg puts it. He says this, transformation begins to happen anytime people become intensely serious about learning from Jesus how to arrange their lives, intensely serious about learning from Jesus how to arrange their lives. So so what Orberg suggests is that this this thing we talk about when we talk about change, when we talk about transformation, becoming different types of people, he says the beginning point of that is saying to Jesus, Jesus, I want to not just hear your word and know your word, but I want to learn from your word. I want to I grow. It's a, he says it's an approach to God. It's the beginning point of every meaningful, Christ-centered, gospel-centered change in our lives. I, I don't know. If you look back on 2013 like I do, uh, this for me is something to sink an anchor in for the next 12 months. In the coming year, just say to Jesus, Jesus, I, I want you, I long for you uh, to speak to me and to receive from you. Because here's the deal. Look up at me for just a moment. Look up at me for just a moment. In fact, can you turn the lights up a little bit so I can see these beautiful faces a little bit better? If you and I were able to believe and practice, to believe and practice, ah, thank you. We have a great tech team here. They're awesome. To believe and practice everything that Jesus taught, we would be able to live the life he invites us to live. See, a lot of us engage in this battle of transformation on the wrong front. A lot of us engage the battle of transformation on the, I'm going to do this different and I'm going to do that different. I'm going to try harder here and I'm going to work more here and I'm going to really press in here. And I think that it's just the wrong front. I think it's the wrong idea. The question is not, what do I need to try to do better in the coming year? But the question is, how do I discipline my heart to hear God and receive from him and then live out of what he tells me, speaks to me, showers over me in his goodness and his grace? So in the next few weeks, I'm gonna invite you to, um, I'm gonna invite you to explore this idea with me, not of resolutions, but of, Transformation, not not resolution, but transformation. As I was um, uh, going through a difficult season this last year, I was um, in the shower and I was just saying, "God, I, I just I need you to speak to me." And I was started to sing because I needed to hear it myself. That old hymn, "Come Thou Found. and the first line in that hymn. That hymn was actually written by a guy named Robert Robinson. Uh, Back in 1757, Robinson wrote this hymn when he was 22 years old. Anybody else writing hymns when they're 22? I mean, come on, seriously? Anyway, Robinson, at the age of 22, pens these words, Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. And at the age of 22, in 1757, Robinson hits on this very core human idea that I think we can all resonate with. And that is that our hearts can be both in tune and they can be out of tune. Our hearts can be healthy or they can be dry, we may not use the exact same vernacular, but we talk about the same ideas, especially as followers of Jesus. We may say, I'm going through a really difficult season right now. I'm going through a dry season. It's, it's hard for me to, to hear from you, God. Or we might say, I'm, I, I feel alive. I feel full. I'm loving the people around me and hearing from Jesus and walking in his goodness. I wanna to propose to you that this idea of the heart is one of these central themes in scripture that we, we all live out of the health and condition of our hearts. Listen to the way that the author of Proverbs writes this in Proverbs chapter four, verse 23. He says, keep your heart, or some other translations will say, guard your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. So so let me ask you this. Is it possible to have a posture to God that allows him to our hearts? That allows him to to speak to us. It allows him to to reach in as the guitar player would on his string and tighten it or loosen it to make it in tune with all of the other strings. Is it possible for for God to reach into our hearts and and tweak it and turn it, to turn the, the dry, hard, cold heart into something that's receptive to God? Is it possible to be transformed by the God of the universe? You know what scriptures say? Scriptures say, it is possible. It is possible. And unfortunately, as evangelicals, we've drifted away from some of the practices that I would suggest and will over the next seven or eight weeks actually are the keys to having a heart that's in tune to God, to to receive from him, to hear from the Holy Spirit, and to walk in the ways of God. Over the course of church history, uh, uh, leaders, pastors have suggested that that the way that the heart is tuned are through what we call spiritual disciplines. Will you say that with me? Spiritual disciplines. Now, here's the thing. You said those two words, and and my guess is you had some ideas that went around in your head. One of them is, oh, dear, Paulson, come on, okay? One of them, if you're a type A person, you're like, praise be to Jesus, Paulson's going to give us something to do. Right? So you already started the list of, all right, spiritual disciplines. Here's things I'm going to do this year. I'm going to read my Bible more. And you put a little box there next to it so that you can check it next week when you get in here and and reopen your Bible and go, yeah, I did that. Check. Okay? Uh, I'm going to pray more. I'm going to fast more. I'm going to, you fill in the blank. So type A people, you go, "I'm, I'm going to love this series. Type B people are, Ryan, that sounds really stale. That sounds dry. That sounds regimented. I mean, discipline. Come on. Then maybe some of the realists are just saying, oh, great, a series uh, that will involve me being more guilty. What I've always wanted from church. Let me promise you this, let me promise you this, that over the next seven weeks or eight weeks as we embark in this series of asking God through spiritual discipline to tune our hearts to sing his grace, this is not a series about guilt at all. This is a series about growth. This is a series about us opening our lives to God to say to him, Jesus, how do you want to work in me? Because I want to, my heart to be in tune to sing your grace, because your grace is prevalent. Your grace is what we're singing about. Your grace is good. It's, it is present right now. How, Jesus, do you want me to taste it and see it? So I sing it. That's what this series is about. Well, the question you may be asking is, well, what is a spiritual discipline? That's a great question. I'm glad you asked that. A discipline is anything, and I'm going to draw a lot in this message, especially from from two gentlemen, Dallas Willard and John Ortberg, great thinkers in this area, uh, sort of the modern thinkers of our time as it comes to these spiritual disciplines. They write this, that a spiritual discipline or a discipline is any activity I can do by direct effort that will help me do what I cannot do by direct effort. Let me say that again. A spiritual discipline is anything I can do by direct effort that will allow me to do something that I can't do by direct effort. Let me give you two examples. Um, One one example. You cannot become more patient by trying to be more patient. You'll become aware of instances to you need to be patient in, but it can't help you be more patient trying to be patient. You need a, a discipline that comes alongside of that that feeds that. Uh, number two, you can't be more humble by trying to be more humble. You cannot attempt to be humble, humility, and actually achieve it. Humility is actually, the core of it is not thinking less of ourselves; it's thinking of ourselves less. So if you're trying to be humble, you're actually just thinking about you, ironically. Uh, this is the way that I view our spiritual disciplines. I view spiritual disciplines like, like a dolly. See, two of us alone could never move my refrigerator out of my house and replace it with a new one. But two of us, with a dolly and a pretty good strap, could prop my refrigerator up, theoretically, and wheel it out of my house. Uh, That's the way the spiritual disciplines work. They are something you can do that allow you to do something you can't do. They carry you along, as it were. Dallas Willard writes this, Disciplines are valuable because they allow us to do what we cannot do by willpower alone. Spiritual disciplines are simply disciplines that the Bible talks about, like like prayer, like uh, reading scripture, and fasting, and confession, and service, and celebration, things like that. Spiritual disciplines are things that we can do that allow us to live out the fruit of the Spirit. That's what this series is all about. Saying to God, God, if transformation's possible, we want to posture ourselves so that you tune our heart, that you, you get in there and you tweak our heart, that we see your grace all the more clearly and that we respond by singing your praise. So for the next seven or eight weeks, we're gonna talk about one spiritual discipline each week, but our posture is gonna be, God, open us up to see your grace. This isn't about working harder or trying more. This is about us opening ourselves to a God who's present and working and saying to him, would you reach in and turn in me and tune my heart to sing your grace? But before we jump in over the next few weeks, I want to lay some groundwork so that we do it in a healthy way. Because here's the deal. You and I, we have the ability within us, because of our human sinful nature, to just steer this off course and go, all right, this is going to be about legalism. And you'll walk in maybe uh, next Sunday or the two Sundays after and go, how are you doing on your Bible reading? You doing good? Yeah, I'm doing good. Great. High five. You're awesome. You should sit front row because you're more spiritual. And then us who are, you know, we could turn this into something that it's just not. That it's just not. So I wanna lay some groundwork that will allow us to walk into this in a freeing sort of way. Colossians chapter two, verse one. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. If not, um, all the passages we look at will be uh, on our screen this morning. Here's what Paul writes to the church at Colossae and Laodicea, the church is there. He says, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. Here's what he said. He said, I'm engaging in a battle for you. A struggle, he says, for for the souls of this church that he planted and loves and for those who have come after him who he hasn't even met. He says, I'm engaging for a battle. And he says that their hearts might be encouraged. If you have your own Bible, circle that word hearts because Paul's gonna say, this is a central idea of what he's fighting for. I'm fighting for your hearts, he says. He says. Being knit together in love to reach all the riches of fullness, assurance, of understanding, and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Isn't that that great? He goes, this is what I'm fighting for. This is what I'm battling for. This This is sort of the plane that we're engaged on is that your heart may be able to grasp everything that you have and who you are in Jesus. That's what he says. And he says, in Christ whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's a lot of treasures of wisdom and knowledge. (laughs) All, he says. I say this, Paul writes, in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. So he says, it's easy for the heart to get off course. For though I'm absent in body, yet I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Verse 6 and this is where we're going to camp out a little bit this morning. Therefore, he says. So, so in light of the fact that I'm battling for you, in light of the fact that I want you to stay rooted and grounded in Jesus and what he's done, not to get off course with, with plausible arguments. He says, therefore. So Paul's going to teach the church how to grow. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him rooted and built up in him, established in faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So from these few verses, I I wanna lay some foundations for us that we're gonna build on over the next few weeks that we're gonna jump off uh, into and say, God, would you tune our hearts to sing thy grace? Allow us to see it, allow us to walk in it, allow us to enjoy it, that it turns in us enough for us to say, Allow us to sing it, Jesus. So I want to give you just four things that allow the heart or sort of foundations for the heart that is tuned and transformed. One, here's what Paul says, that the heart is tuned and transformed through receiving, not through achieving, Through receiving, not through achieving. Those are very different postures, friends. So he begins this section by saying, therefore, just as you, what? Anyone? Received. I shouldn't take it off the screen and then ask you. Okay. Therefore, just as you. There you go. There you go. See, I knew you were with me. Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord. Did you know there's great, great, great continuity between how you start the Christian life and how you walk the Christian life? Here's a danger. The longer we sit in these chairs and the longer we're around Christianity and it starts to become more and more normal and maybe just a part of our life, we start to think this. This is a transition that happens both in us and uh, throughout the churches in Scripture. We start by receiving God's goodness, his grace, his mercy. And then we think, God, thank you for that. And now, high five, tag team, you're out, I'm in. I'm gonna take it from here. And Paul says, no, that's not the way that the Christian life works. Therefore, just as you received, in the same way you received him, walk in him. Um, Paul writes the same thing to the Galatian church when he says this, oh, foolish Galatians, now, that's, a, that's sort of a, um, a cut down. That's, that's not exactly a, hey, I'm so glad to write to you type of letter. This is, come on, you morons. I think that's what the message translation says. Maybe not. <laughs> Who's bewitched you? Was it before your very eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? Let me ask you only this. So he goes, hypothetical question. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law? Did you, did you achieve? Is that how you entered into this relationship with Jesus? Or, or by hearing with faith? And they would say, well, by hearing with faith. He says, are you so foolish? Have you begun by the Spirit? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? So you started by receiving. Do you think now you're supposed to just achieve? Paul says, no, 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 no. The Christian life continues and is lived out in the exact same way it starts, with a posture of saying to God, God, what do you want to pour into my life today? Now, the, the the reality is that most of us don't begin our day, don't live our day, look back on the last year and say, I didn't live with that posture of receiving. Let me just let me give you three brief, and if you know me at all, that's not my natural wiring. I'm gonna try my best. Three brief. Key truths about receiving and about this posture that I think God would long for us to have as we enter into not only the series Tune My Heart, but the year 2014. One is that spiritual disciplines are not about taking control, they're about giving control. Spiritual disciplines are not about taking control, they are about giving control. So it's not necessarily me saying, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to accomplish this. It's me saying, God, these are some things that I'm going to do, some things that I can do to accomplish some things that I can't, right? That's what a discipline is. Some things that I can do in order to say to you, here's my life. Use it for whatever you want, whatever you want. They're a way of taking, giving control, not taking control. So So let's just lay this on a few disciplines. What if if scripture wasn't so much about how much we accomplished reading? Uh, Maybe that's the wrong question to ask. Maybe it's the wrong goal to have. Maybe information isn't even necessarily the right question to ask or goal to have. What if our approach to scripture was, Jesus, would you speak to me in such a way that allows me to receive what you're offering me today? What if prayer wasn't so much, God, here's the things that I need and here's what I want you to do. But what if prayer was an opening of ourselves to say, God, help me receive what you want to pour into my life today. Because I trust that you're a living God, that you're active, that I'm your child and you have good things for me. So so what do you want me to see today? What do you want me to hear today? And how do I walk in the truth of what you reveal? What if serving wasn't so much just about what we do and accomplish for God, but the way that God worked in our life through giving him our life. See, spiritual disciplines aren't about taking control. They're about giving control to God. Two, spiritual disciplines are not a way to earn anything from God. They're a way to walk in the goodness and joy of the things he's already purchased for us. You got, you got that? That none of these give us any more favor with God. None of us, allow, none of us, ur, it doesn't earn us anything with God to read our Bible more, or to pray more. But what it does is it opens our hearts for God to reach in and tune the dial of our hearts to say, "Oh, Ryan, can't you see how good I am to you today?" It allows us to relish in the reality that we are children of the Most High God, that we start to actually embody the truth of Scripture, that he says that there's nothing we can do to be separate from his love, that we're his children, that we're forgiven, that we stand holy and spotless and blameless today. And if I get that today, if my heart is tuned to hear that today, it radically changes the way that I live. Amen. Yeah, you can say amen in this church. You can. I actually like it sort of lets me know you're all living and maybe I'm just not the only one that gets excited about it, I don't know. Third is I want you to know as we begin this with receiving, not achieving, that you enter into this journey from a position of abundance, not lack. Abundance, not lack. Did you know that the scriptures actually say about you? His divine power, that's God's divine power, has granted to us, to you, To you. All things that pertain to life and godliness, you're never going to get to a place in this journey with God if you're open to Him, walking with Him, living with Him, where you go, I can't grow beyond this. For some of you, that's good news entering into 2014. He says, You have everything you need pertains to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called you to His glory. Man, that changes expectations, doesn't it? I got everything I need? Well, the question becomes, then, what, is I, what am I waiting for? And I think God says the same thing to us. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? So he says, therefore, as you've received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him. Circle it, underline it, star it. It's the Bible's way of saying, live that way. Live that way. And, and if you're thinking, man, Paulson, you're going to have a circle and star and underline everything in these two verses. Probably, but maybe you could just, just memorize this, these two verses as a foundation for our series. I'd suggest it. Uh, I think it's foundational and important as we enter into this journey. But here's what Paul just told the churches at Colossae. He said, the heart's tuned and transformed through intentionality, not passivity. Intentionality, not passivity. He didn't say, hey, if you sort of feel like it, walk in it. If, it. if your day starts out the right way, then walk in it. It's a command in the Greek. And he says, come on, church, do it. Live it. Walk in it. This, this posture of receiving. But it doesn't just happen by accident. None of us will get to the end of 2014 without some sort of intentionality and say, wow, I can't believe I really did grow in my relationship with the Lord this year. I am becoming more of a disciple. And hey, it just happened naturally. Said no one ever. Which is why Paul writes this to the church. My little children, for whom I'm again in the anguish of childbirth. Heard that's really painful. (laughs) Again, in the anguish of childbirth, until Christ is Formed. It's, it's a, the Greek word uh, where we get our word to morph, to formed into you, that he grows into you, that you are your heart in the sense is tuned to hear him, to know him, to sing his grace. He's talking about something very practical here. Something that I, I think in many ways is, is lost on many followers of Jesus today. Uh, Dallas Willard uh said this. He said, wrote, our most serious failure today is the inability to provide effective practical guidance. Effective practical guidance as to how to live the life of Jesus. And I believe that is due to this very real loss of biblical realism for our lives. So he says, the question we start with is, does this book mean anything to our actual everyday life? Is it just ethereal? Is it just ideas? Is it just good concepts? Or or can we actually learn from Jesus how to live in such a way? Does the Bible actually feed the way that we go to work in the morning? Does it define the way that we actually in interact in our marriage? Does it, does it have something to say about the way that we raise kids? Does it have something to say about the way that we approach a vocation? Is that real? Or is it just good ideas? Well, here's the thing I wrestled with. Because I'm on board with that, it's intentionality, not passivity. But here's, if I'm in a seminary class, I go, okay, well, well, what's my part and what's God's part, Right? I mean, I think that's a natural question because what's my part and what's God's part? Because I didn't begin this thing. It was his grace that initiated it, and I didn't earn it. He purchased it. So it seems like on the front end, a lot of it's him. What's his part and what's my part? The natural deduction of the prevenient grace of God is that there's no place for human interaction. Well, well. let me just throw out a quick distinction. There's no place for human earning. It's already all yours. But that does not mean that there's no place for human effort. Because it takes effort, it takes time, it takes diligence to wrap our minds around this transformational truth that we are the beloved, forgiven, righteous, perfect, holy children of God. That takes effort. And the reason that most of us don't live that out is because on a core level deep within us, we don't believe it. We don't believe it. And believing it would change everything. Let me me illustrate it like this. I think the Christian life is like riding in a boat. And when when you're riding in a boat, there's there's multiple choices, but two of them are. um, One, a motorboat, speedboat. So you go to the gas station, and you, you fill up your boat, and you get it all checked out by the mechanic, and he says, you're good to go, and you launch it into the lake, and you power it up, and you push the throttle down, and you <laughs> take off, and you steer, and you do it all. And I think for many people, that is the picture of the Christian life that they have, which is why they're so frustrated, because the Christian life is not designed as a speedboat, it's designed as a sailboat, where your goal is to get the sail up in the air. That's your job. And God's job is to provide all of the wind and all of the energy and all of the work necessary to move you. So, I want to propose to you over the next few weeks that, that maybe many of us just don't have our, our sails up, or maybe we're just not reading the wind right. And I want to invite you over the next seven to eight weeks to get your sail in the air get your sail, and and then to ask God, God, how do you want to transform me? How do you want to tune my heart? How do you want to work in my life? How do you want to invite me to live in a little bit different way, to walk in your joy more fully as my sail's up? But, But I want to invite you, get your sail up. That's what the disciplines are. They're simply saying to God, God, I'm present and I'm here. You're active. Would you move and would you work? Hey, you can't control the wind. You can't control the wind. But that's part of the adventure of the Christian life, isn't it? I think our fear of where the wind will blow causes many people to drop our sail. Or, or, we put our sail up and go, no wind. I mean, I've been reading my Bible for three days at least. God, I just don't sense you you speaking to me at all. Or, or I, spent, I spent 10 minutes in, in prayer today and God, I'm just not hearing you. And here's what he would say. Will you just look at me up at me for just a second? I think here's what he'd say is keep the sail up. I'm gonna move. I'm gonna work. Your job isn't to control the wind. It blows where it will and where it may. Your job is to keep the sail up. Here's what he goes on to say. So that we walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught. So he uses this analogy that that as we receive from him and as we walk in him, the byproduct is we're built up in him. It's this idea of of process. It's this idea of of time, that it's not going to happen overnight. Here's how I want to put it, uh, phraseologies from Uh, I think Dallas Willard, but he says this, the heart is tuned and transformed through training, not through trying. That things are built over the course of time and over the course of days and over the course of years, not just by somebody trying to get it done, by saying every day, God, I'm gonna open my life to you. Would you move? Would you work? It's a process. It's a process. Here's how Paul would write it in, the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verses 24 to 27. He say this about training. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Isn't that great? All the overachievers in the room are like, "Awesome. Can do that." Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable breath of parts. We do it to receive imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. He's focused. I do not box as one beating the air. But he says, I discipline my body. I keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So it's about, it's about training. Let me, give you, let me just give you a few tips, as it were, for training. Wise training begins with a decision. And I'm going to ask you, would you make the decision this morning? to say, yeah, I'm going to get my sail up in the air. I'm going to engage with, with God's word over the next seven or eight weeks. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to practice the things that we talk about and see, God, what you might do. It begins with a decision. People don't drift there ever because everything naturally in us wants to push us away from that. Two, um, this is going to take some time in your life. It's going to take time. It's not popular in our uh, microwave six minute abs culture. The, th- the growth takes time, it takes diligence, it takes sometimes months or days or years. Two, it, it, uh, that, that is two, it won't happen overnight. It could start overnight, though. It could start overnight. Three, wise training takes into account your season in life. Wise training takes into account your season in life. So I've been in many a small group, especially with, with moms and young moms I mean that's not who I'm in small groups with. I'm just in small groups with them, because that's my wife's a mom and a young mom. OK. I'm not like, "Hey, sign me up for the young mom small group. No, that's not me. <laughs> who have this like deep, riddled sense of guilt that they don't spend as much time reading the scriptures as they used to before they had kids. And I just think it's from the enemy. Because good training takes into account your season in life. Guilt isn't from Jesus. The reality is you may not have as much time as you once did. God's not asking you what you don't have. He's asking you to use what you do have. Okay? So, so, so the question is, when we approach him and say, God, how'd you work? How'd you move? How'd you breathe into my life? It's not, God, what am I lacking? But, God, what's present? So you may not be able to read the entire Bible in 90 days, but you may be able to uh, put a little scripture on your phone that when it pops up, you see it and you memorize it over the course of a week. And then next week, you move on to something else. Maybe it's one scripture that you're just burrowing into the core of your being I don't know what it is, but I do know that good training takes into account the season in life that you're in. And hey, if you're a young mom, I guarantee as early as you get up, your kids are going to meet you. It's just Murphy's Law, and it works every time. So I, I'm this morning. My my car wouldn't start, and so I was doing my normal preparation, reading and praying through my message um, at our kitchen table. And I got up and was ready, and coffee brewed six a.m. And I sit down, and sure enough, I hear walking down the stairs someone, and I'm like, "Please tell me that's Kelly." And sure enough, it was uh, my four and a half year old son Ethan, and he says to me, "I kid you not," he says to me, "Dad, what are you doing up so early? It's dark outside." I'm like, what are you doing up so early? It's dark outside. And he says to me, Dad, you're going to be tired today if you don't go back and go to sleep. And I'm like, you're going to be tired if you don't go sit over there and stop talking to me. You know, like, "Ah, I'm just kidding. But like, man, how true is it that sometimes things don't turn out the way that we think they will And our training, quote unquote, needs to account for our season of life. It also needs to account for our natural temperament. Some things are going to work for some people and not for others. That's okay. That's okay. Here's where Paul closes this, and I'll close it here as well. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. According to human tradition, So he's going to define what that looks like now, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. Here's here's what Paul would say to you and I. The heart is tuned and transformed through focus on Jesus, not concentration on self. So throughout this passage, in verse 6, he says, walk in him. In verse 7, he says, you're built up in him. And here he says, focus on him. Not the traditions of the world, not the the substandard spirits or, or principles, as other translations will say. But he says, all of life, all of spiritual discipline, their goal is not me. The goal is Jesus. And as I focus on him, he transforms me. He changes me. It's not about sin management or self-effort. It's about seeing Jesus and allowing him, having our sail up, as it were, to allow him to reach down into our soul and say, can I I tweak that? Can I move that? Can I change that? And hey, 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 as you do that, as he does that in your life, the response, as the hymn writer said, many centuries ago is that we sing his grace. So over the next few weeks, I want to give you an invitation. It's an invitation to walk in the goodness of Jesus. It's an invitation to hear his voice a little bit more clearly. It's an invitation to respond to his spirit. But more than any of those things, here's the invitation, friends. Will you look up at me for just a second? Here's the invitation in all of these things to see his grace and to sing his praise. And any time you hear from the God of the universe, what you hear is grace and what you respond respond with, is praise. Because he's good. He is good, and he loves you, and you and I are people who forget. And our sails drop. Even though the wind blows, our sails drop. And so Jesus instituted this, this meal. It, it was a meal designed for remembering. I think it was a meal designed for not only remembering, but for getting that sail up because it's a meal that's based around his goodness and it's based around his grace and it's based around his mercy. Jesus gathered his disciples together in this upper room and he instituted this communion, this Lord's Supper that we celebrate today. It's a table that's open to anyone who's a follower of Jesus If you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, I would encourage you, there's no better day than today to put your faith and your hope in him for the forgiveness of your sins and for the promise of eternal life. But the table is only open to those who are followers of Jesus. So if that's not you this morning, that's okay, but we just invite you, you can stay seated and and sort of think about the things that we've talked about this morning. But if that is you, as you come forward, I'm gonna invite you to get a little piece of bread and a little cup of juice. Their grace their mercy their goodness their god's invitation to you you can keep the or you can take the bread uh, as you feel led and as an invitation or symbolic of the fact that you have a relationship with Jesus that's personal but will you keep the cup so that we can take that together as a body remembering that we're all in this together let me pray for us and then you can come forward as you feel led This audio is from South Fellowship Church. Feel free to make copies of this message, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit us at southfellowship.org.